All right, amen. Thank you to the praise band for preparing that. Let's go ahead and dive in today's message. One of my favorite quotes is from the 2008 Batman movie, The Dark Knight. Harvey Dent, the district attorney for Gotham City, is giving a press conference in response to current events. He says, the night is darkest just before the dawn. And I promise you, the dawn is coming. That quote is a great summation of where we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has died and been buried. Darkness reigns. In the verses we will look at today, the light of dawn bursts through. So if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter 24. This is the final chapter of Luke. We will only be in this book that we have spent so much time in over the past several years for another few weeks, which I'm actually a little bit sad. I'm a little bit sad to be finishing up with Luke, but uh, I'm also excited about we have, what we have in store for us the next few weeks. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 831 for today's scripture. Beginning in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, this is the women who had been following Jesus, went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. These verses begin with a known fact, or at least a fact everyone thinks they know. Jesus has died. His body has already begun the process of decay. The women go with spices to limit the stench that will soon begin to develop. By the end of the verses, this truth is obviously no longer true. Peter marvels at what had happened. As the people in these verses process what has happened, we are going to process with them. 
their lives are changed by Jesus' new life. Our life should be changed as well. Our faith is in a risen Lord, not a dead body or an idle tale. We should marvel at what this means for us. I know it is not Easter today, but it is still true. Jesus is risen. Now you are supposed to say, he is risen indeed. Let's do it again. Let's, the first service, just so you guys know, know, they did not do a great job at this. So let's do better than the first service. Jesus is risen. risen that was pretty good. Okay, that was pretty good. We'll, we'll roll with that. The women that went to Jesus' tomb on the first day of the week at early dawn were committed to doing the right thing. The circumstances of Jesus' death had made it impossible to fully prepare his body for death before he was placed in the tomb. Jesus died on Friday night right as Passover was beginning. The next day was Saturday, which was the Sabbath. Jewish practice forbade any work being done on the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea had done what he could quickly on Friday night, wrapping Jesus' body in a shroud and burying him. Sunday morning was the first opportunity these women had to do what they believed was the right thing. These women wanted to show Jesus' body the honor that was due. Jews took very seriously the care of dead bodies. The women's obedience was interrupted by an unforeseen variable. Jesus' body is not where it was supposed to be. You can imagine the thoughts that must have been racing through these women's minds. Are we in the wrong place? Was the body stolen? Two men, angels, clarify for them what is happening. Jesus is not here. He is risen. Oh, there we go. Killer job, Meg. That was great. I love how matter-of-factly these divine messengers state this. I don't think angels probably roll their eyes, but if they did, I can almost picture these angels doing so. They have to be thinking, how, how is this not obvious to you? Jesus said he would rise again on the third day. It's the third day and he's not here. How can you not put two and two together? The surprising fact of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. The women are no longer fulfilling an awful obligation. It is commendable that they wanted to do the right thing. This is not a pleasant task. Applying spices to a crucified body that had been laying in a grave for a couple of nights would not be an experience anyone would be excited to have. They would have had to crawl on their hands and knees into a dark tomb 
with a dead body. Doing so would have been creepy and gross. Thankfully, they don't have to fulfill the obligation they felt. Jesus isn't dead after all. They can continue to enjoy a relationship with Jesus. He is still alive. A relationship is very different from just fulfilling an obligation. They may have gained some small satisfaction from doing what they were supposed to do. How much better is it to be in a relationship with the risen Lord? The difference between their expectation and their actual experience was extreme. Christians often think about Christianity the same way these women thought about what they had in store on their way to the tomb. There's a tendency to think of Christian faith as an obligation that must be endured. We, we go to church, we do all the other things that Christians are supposed to do because it is the right thing to do. We owe Jesus at least that much. Small satisfaction can be gained from doing the right thing in life, but mostly you just have to get through it. In the same way these women thought they were going to take care of a dead body, many people's faith is with a dead religion that they feel obligated to. A living faith is about being in relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Andrew Murray points out that a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. Jesus is not an obligation we fulfill. He is a relational opportunity through which we are fulfilled. We have the privilege of being in relationship with Jesus. We should rejoice in that as these women did. For many, that just sounds too good to be true. It sounds like an idle tale. When Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who are with them told these things to the apostles, the apostles were incredulous. They don't believe Jesus is risen. Their suspicion is reasonable. They were well aware of what had happened to Jesus. There's no question he died. The apostles know how much the women that are reporting the story want to believe Jesus is still alive. Mixed in with their reasonable suspicion is a fair amount of misogyny. Women in the ancient world were not considered reliable witnesses. The fact God has women to be the first witnesses to the most important event in history is an indication of the value God places on women. The apostles, though, they need confirmation. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. This is not a pleasant Sunday morning job. 
Peter sprints in his robe and sandals to the site of Jesus' burial, which was not close by. It was outside of the city walls. I doubt Peter had been keeping up his cardio. By the time he makes it to the tomb, he must have been a sweaty mess. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Peter gets the confirmation he needs. He wanted proof, and now he has it. Like Peter, who heard the women's report of Jesus' resurrection, we must respond. God is patient with us in our uncertainty. We are not supposed to believe every idle tale we are told. Being a Christian doesn't mean being a fool. The pages of the Bible are filled with people who are seeking more of an intellectual basis for moving forward in faith. Scripture often presents faith as being a struggle. There are many who doubt. Most of those we lift up as being exemplary in faith wrestled with questions of what was true at one time or another. When we have questions, we should seek answers as Peter did. The problem with doubt occurs when that is all there is. Many people use doubt as an excuse for inaction. Peter moves to get his questions answered ASAP. He he wasn't worried about looking foolish in doing so as he sprinted through the streets of Jerusalem. He just wanted to know what was true. The issue that arises for some is that we cannot get our questions answered the way Peter did. We cannot cannot go and visit the empty tomb. This seems like a valid frustration. You will frequently hear people say they don't believe things that they cannot verify for themselves. This all sounds very scientific. The problem is the scope of what we can verify for ourselves is actually quite small. It's, It's not enough to live on. The human soul doesn't show up on CT scans. A conviction that love is more than a biochemical reaction cannot logically be proven. Elon Musk, he makes a solid argument that we are all just characters in a video game simulation. History is based on hearsay. Faith is a necessary, not optional part of living. We have to believe things that we cannot prove from personal experience. The Bible recognizes this is necessary while acknowledging that it is a challenge. In response to the Apostle Thomas's proclamation of faith upon seeing Jesus post-resurrection in John 20, Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Luke wrote this gospel out of a recognition that believing is hard. 
way back in chapter 1, verse 3, he explained his reasoning. He says, It seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The Gospel of Luke was written because a person believing what they have not personally witnessed is a challenge. Luke is telling Theophilus, who had heard about Jesus' life and resurrection from others, what really happened. Through Luke, God is telling us the same. Now, if anybody is struggling to come to intellectual terms with the claims made in this book, there's a lot of resources I could suggest for you, and I would encourage you to come and ask about that. It's a little bit outside the scope of a Sunday morning sermon. But as we focus on the intellectual claims being made, we also have to recognize that Christian faith is not based solely on whether or not we intellectually agree with what the Bible tells us. It is based on our own experience of God as well. Intellectual concerns can be a barrier to faith. Having those concerns answered is not enough. Years ago, Billy Graham was asked how he knew God was alive. He responded by saying, I can tell you God is alive because I talked to him this morning. Faith is experiential as well as intellectual. In Revelation 3, the risen Jesus Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also, and I also conquered and sat down as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We know Jesus lives in the same way that Peter knew. We experience it firsthand. Jesus' resurrection leaves all who learn the truth of it through evidence and experience in all. It is a totally new thing, impossible to prepare for. This is what happens to Peter. He goes home marveling at what had happened. The participle translated as marveling in this verse is one Luke used throughout the gospel that bears his name. People respond in wonder when they see what God is doing through Jesus Christ. The verb is used first in Luke 1 for how the people respond to Zechariah's delay as God informs him he will be the father of the prophet that will precede the Messiah. And then when the people hear what the name of this future prophet is, they marvel as well. In Luke 2, the people who hear the reports of the shepherds after the angelic chorus respond in amazement, 
Mary and Joseph do the same when they hear Simeon prophesy about Jesus as a baby in the temple. In Luke 4, the people of Nazareth marvel at Jesus' words. In Luke 8, it is the disciples' turn. They can't believe the winds and the waves obey him. In Luke 9 and 11, it is the crowd that sees Jesus' power to heal spiritually. Later, in Luke 11, the Pharisees are astonished to see Jesus doesn't follow the law as they would expect. The scribes and chief priests in chapter 20 are surprised by Jesus' ability to answer their question. It is clear that those who interact with Jesus throughout Luke are consistently left slack-jawed. This is especially true of the resurrection. Peter had been with Jesus throughout his public ministry. He had seen all the times other people had marveled at Jesus. He had done so himself previously. Despite the fact Jesus had told him several times the resurrection would happen, he is still surprised. His mind has been blown. All should marvel at the resurrection. Jesus, the one who died, returns to life. The whole basis for how the world operates has been overturned. Death is the unavoidable fact of existence in this world. It is the only true guarantee. Nobody should respond like death being conquered is a routine occurrence. It should leave us with wonder. Eugene Peterson writes, it is not easy to convey a sense of wonder, let alone resurrection wonder to another. It's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions. Wonder can't be packaged and it can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. Wonder is a deeply personal experience. Any who truly believe that Jesus returned to life will be amazed by it. It is a truth that cannot be explained. Only God's power makes it possible. The resurrection totally changes the way we see the world. Through it, all the principalities of this world are overthrown. Death is cast down. Evil is forced to retreat. Jesus overcame death. He overcame this world. He made a way for us. He is the first fruits of all creation. We marvel not just at what Jesus has done, but at what the implications of the resurrection are for us. On the Sunday morning of Jesus' resurrection, the light of God rose. Darkness fled before it. We live in the light of what God has done through Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. Everything is different because Jesus was dead 
And then he was alive. Our faith is in a risen Lord, not a dead body or an idle tale. We should marvel at what this means for us. Any who have experienced the reality of the risen Lord cannot help but wonder. The whole rest of the Bible, all of the Christian life, is an attempt to work out exactly what the resurrection means for us. It means everything is different. It means light has conquered darkness. We may not always be 100% sure of what the implications of the resurrection are. We can know with confidence they are good. Let's close on this note. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to live in the light of your grace. We still find ourselves in a world filled with shadows, and it can feel to us like we are overcome by the darkness. And we can see the darkness in ourselves as well, contributing to that darkness, Lord. But we know that your light, that Jesus Christ has pierced the darkness, Lord. And we pray that that light would continue to expand, that it would continue to expand in our own hearts and minds, and that it would continue to expand in this world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.